Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Eric Bowling filling in for Greg tonight. Coke is woke. Coca-Cola, as we've been saying. Recently, it was discovered that Coca-Cola is training their new employees on how to be less white. In an exposed training course allegedly sent from an internal whistleblower and shared online by a YouTube commentator, new Coca-Cola employees were being trained on white privilege and how to be less white. Take a look at some of these slides. Quote, in the U.S. and other Western nations, white people are socialized to feel that they are inherently superior because they are white. Research shows that by age three to four, children understand that it is better to be white. Really? Really? Are you kidding me, Coke? Okay, let's have another one. Quote, try to be less white. Seriously, Coke? So in an effort to be woke, Coke spoke. But what is really going on here is something far different. Coke can pretend to care about social justice issues, but do they really? I mean, does Coke really care about people? Well, they say they do, but do they really? Do they care about the Cuban people living under a repressive communist regime? Or does Coke care about the human atrocities being inflicted on minority groups in communist China? Or more likely, are they ignoring those because Coke sells a lot of Coke in China? A group called Consumers Research just released this new video exposing Coke for the hypocrisy they live by. Just drink Coke, the road to obesity. At Coke, we say we're woke. We sell drinks, badass smoke. China is our labor supplier that drives our stock price even higher. So Coke spoke trying to be woke. Turns out they're just a joke. Speaking of blowing woke smoke, I have to call attention to Fox News. There's something really alarming going down over at 1200 Avenue of the Americas. There's no shortage of outrage emanating from the Fox studios. They seem to hate the woke cancel culture agenda as much as I do. But do they really? Check this out. This week, Major League Baseball played their annual All-Star game. But remember April when Major League Baseball, in an attempt to be woke, canceled the All-Star game in Atlanta, Georgia, due to their, quote, care and concern for the minorities in the state of Georgia, who, by the way, had just reformed their voting laws in the state, then added that game to Denver, Colorado. Now, I was out in front of that story calling out Major League Baseball for this asinine move. They pulled an estimated $100 to $200 million of economic activity from a 50% minority community and moved it to Denver, Colorado with a 9% minority population community. In an attempt to be woke, Major League Baseball literally choked the minority businesses in Atlanta out of one to $200 million of opportunity. Now, I walked the walk to call out baseball's clown move as a former Pittsburgh Pirate. I went to the BBC, the highly watched evening news I was on, when a Harvard professor accused me of being racist for defending minority businesses in Atlanta. Watch what I did. 
They took 8,000 booked hotel rooms and they moved them out of the state and put them in a state and a city with far less diversity. I think it's really rich for any Republican, especially a white man, to run around and claim that they care about the economic condition of black communities and black businesses when that's all a lie. How dare you try to act Never. like you are somehow a proponent of black people and businesses um, just to make a, a point and to try to create a wedge. It's ignorant and it's just disrespectful. That's disgusting. I'm done. Put me off. That's disgusting. I'm, I'm, I am nowhere near anything you're painting me to be. And the problem with American politics is exactly that. Because I'm white, you think I'm racist? That's BS. Okay. I'm done. Will, will you just I'm stay, done. Eric, will you just stay for this question? Well, she was wrong. I'm not racist. In fact, half of my family is of mixed racial, ethnic, and religious background. But she didn't know that. I had to stand up to what was right, and in this case, what was simply wrong. In her attempt to be woke, that Harvard professor played the race card and was busted for it. Now, I had to do it even though it got hot and it got ugly. But back to Fox News now and their well-oiled outrage machine. Fox News, like me, loves to call out the woke cancel culture warriors for what they are, frauds playing the race card whenever and wherever they can. Their race card is played so much, it's getting worn out. So Fox News, they raged, rightly so, against Coke going woke. But where were they when MLB canceled the All-Star game over being woke? They were silent. I wonder why... Silent. Now, I wonder why Fox was so quiet on the All-Star game flip-flop. After all, they claimed to be against the leftists ruining the country by constantly playing the race card here, there, and everywhere. And against the cancer that cancel culture is, why were they silent when it came to the All-Star game? Look no further than their program guide. Turns out Fox was broadcasting that Major League Baseball All-Star game. Watch these Fox shows not only not call out Major League Baseball for their ill-conceived move to cancel the Atlanta All-Star game. They actually promoted the Denver game. Again, we're only 9% are minorities. Welcome back. Denver businesses are gearing up for a crowd as thousands head to Colorado for the MLB All-Star game tonight, which airs exclusively tonight on Fox. Let's check in with Carly Shimkus live from Coors Field ahead of tonight's MLB All-Star game and exclusively on Fox. Hey, Carly. Good morning, guys. This year is made even more special by the fact that the MLB All-Star Game didn't happen last year because of the pandemic. So a lot of good times happening here in the Mile High City and more fun to come later today. It's great to be here, guys. Thank you very much. Coverage is going to start at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. The game starts at 7.30. Turns out Fox is nothing more than another Coca-Cola. Fox News and Coke both pretended to stand up to something. In Coke's case, it was white privilege. In Fox News's case, it was standing up to woke companies like Coke. Both picked a side. Both virtual signaled. But both drew the line at when and where it actually affects their bank accounts. Two big companies who take a stand against something until it knocks on their banker's door. So will Fox go broke? Faking to be woke? Blowing some smoke? Are they just blowing woke smoke? Perhaps they'll say they misspoke. I think they're just another Coke with something on their face. Egg yolk.
All these major corporations are bending the will of the woke mob, but seemingly only when it affects their bottom line. Do they actually care about social justice at all, or is this just for show? What about this is all happening in Cuba right now? What about that? Cubans are fighting in the streets against the repressive communist regime they live under, and yet we haven't heard a peep from these corporations. I want to bring in Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar, Republican of Florida. She's the daughter of Cuban exiles, grew up in Little Havana. Congresswoman, thank you for being here. Appreciate your time. And I know you have a lot to say about this. But let's start with the Biden administration. Where are they with regards to Cuba policy? I, for one, have posted the, the hand signal. Exile, free Cuba, free Cuba. I don't feel like they're doing it from, from uh, the, the White House. Libertad. That's where you're talking, liberty. That's exactly what we need. We need to hear uh, a commitment, a steadfast commitment from the Biden administration, specifically when we're talking about Internet. All we're really asking at this hour, immediately, the urgency is to turn the lights on, turn on Internet within the embassy in Havana, the United States embassy. Why is that? Because if the Cubans know that the world is watching, through the internet, what we're doing on the streets, exactly with that video that you're, that footage that you're showing right now, they will embolden them even more. You know why? Because the Cubans have lost everything. Their liberty, their lives, they have lost their dignity. Now, thank God, they lost the fear. But the fear, it will be emboldened only if they know that the rest of the world is watching, the White House is watching, and this country. And why then there will be more people out on the street and the regime will not be able to stand that. But then we need you know, the White House. Where is the White House? Where is the White House? And, and, and that's, that's the point we've been, we've been making, you've been making. Uh, Senator Rubio has been very, very vocal on, on that same topic. And some of the ideas that people have, have thrown out, and I think these are great ideas. You mentioned making sure that the U.S. Embassy is, is a hotspot for, for the Internet. How about Guantanamo Bay? Why not put up some servers uh, on Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, on the island, and allow the Cuban people to talk to each other. This is, this is really why, what's stifling uh, about the Cuban regime is they don't want people to be able to talk to each other to say, hey, we're going to meet in this city, or hey, we're going to protest over here. Talk to us a little Correct. bit about that. And then, and then very importantly, uh, Representative, what happens to a Cuban on the island if they do get caught protesting? Well, it's happened. Well, all right. So you said Guantanamo. Absolutely. That's the choice. Another choice is this company called Raven out of South Dakota, that they can put together a balloon and then just have that balloon fly over Cuba. The DOD, they have those capabilities. They use them in the Middle East. Secretary Pompeo used it in 2019 in Iran. Uh, the Raven Corporation used it in Puerto Rico during last hurricane. The technology is out there. The only thing we need is the political willingness. And you see the Cuban flags, but you also see the American flags being waved on the streets of Havana. Why? Because they know that we are the saviors. The United States government is the one that can send the signal that we are with them, not only providing Internet, but then sending a very clear message to the military and saying, don't shoot against the Cuban people because you could be part of the future and don't be part of the past. So very clear signals that we're not hearing from the Biden administration, and I do not understand. Listen, I am on that so, floor, so the beacon of hope. Let me just, just I'm, I'm on the floor. Where are the Democrats, my colleagues, 
AOC, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, where are they when they have been denouncing the systematic racism, the atrocities that supposedly we commit in this country against the African-Americans? It's the same thing. If it's good for the African-Americans, it's good for the Afro-Cubans. Where are they? Where is Black Lives Matter when they have been shouting that they want equal rights? Well, the Cubans are the same. They have the same right. They're well, black well, well, too. Well, let, 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 let's 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 focus in on that. Um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez clearly would I would think she would back the people, right? The people are being oppressed by the by the communist regime of Cuba. But let's not forget something: communist equals socialist. Uh, Ocasio Cortez is a Democrat socialist, so she's torn. Does she? care about the people or does she care about a socialist agenda, which she is trying to get into the American p political system here right now? But she said that she condemns those anti-democratic forces, which we applaud. Indeed, the Castro regime has been for, for 62 years an oppressive, tyrannical, anti-democratic system. But the people are out there on the streets of Havana. They are not saying, I want food. I want vaccines. I don't want to have to fight. I want to fight COVID. They're saying freedom. They're waving the American flag. They're not talking about the embargo. They're talking about freedom and libertad. So it's very simple. But you see, it's the double standard that right now I respectfully call out on the Democratic administration to understand that this has nothing to do with Democrats, Republicans. This has to do with Americans. I do not want you another know. Democratic administration to do the same thing as that happened in Bay of Pigs. John F. Kennedy yeah, yeah, stood up the I, Cubans. I, we don't want bail fix number two. I'm sorry, I got to leave it there. I hate to cut you off. There's a, a little bit of a delay. Uh, and, and again, it just blows my mind to see pictures of Cubans holding an American flag because they want liberty. According to the Biden administration, they're they're protesting over, over vaccine. That is just pure BS. They want freedom and they want liberty. And the worst thing in the world that they, the Biden administration, the Democrats across this country, the last thing they want to see is the American flag being held up. They tend to like to take a knee when the American flag or the anthem is playing. Yes. Maria no. Elvira Salazar. Congresswoman, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks to you. Caitlyn Jenner has some company in the battle to be governor of California. You'll meet that man after the break. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Why are people leaving a state once the envy of the world with unrivaled climate, mountains, beaches, deserts, forests? We have it all. But Gavin Newsom has declared war on the middle class. Californians know we can do better. The problem is Gavin Newsom. Our arrogant, out-of-touch governor has got to go. And I hope that I'll be the person you choose to be a successor. Don't feel bad for him. He can always retreat to his winery. You know, the one that remained open during the pandemic. The man has got to go. Let's do this together because we've got a state to save. Well, he's coming out swinging, isn't he? Radio talk show host Larry Elder wants to kick California's Gavin Newsom out of the governor's mansion, and he's got about two months to make his case before voters decide whether to recall Newsom and elect a new governor, something every Golden State governor has faced since 1960. So why is this one any different? 
Let's ask the man himself, Larry Elder. He joins us. Larry, what are you going to do to get that recall and then to make sure you win the recall? Well, Eric, thank you for having me. Look, 2.2 million people signed this petition. We only needed 1.6, which means a whole bunch of independents and Democrats who voted for this guy want him out. Rising crime, rising homelessness, the outrageous cost of living that's caused for the first time in this state's history to be a net migration out of California, of native Californians, and the arrogant way this man handled the coronavirus pandemic, ignoring the science because he's totally beholden to the teachers union. He shut down the whole state. He shut down schools. Uh, and the head of the largest affiliate of the teachers union said when parents went to the streets and said, please send my kid back. My kid's already behind. Black and brown parents. Uh, these, this woman said that the reason for the movement to reopen the schools is being led by white supremacists. Eric, you've known me a long time. I'm a lot of things, but do I look like a white supremacist? And then add to that the cost of living. The average price of, of a home in California costs 150% more than the average price of a home outside of California. And it is 50% higher because of all the stupid rules and regulations that have been pushed down the throats by the environmentalists. I'm going to do something about yeah. all of this. I'm going to reverse all of this. Add to that the power of the public sector unions it's almost impossible to get elected in this state without getting public union support, which is why the Democrats have dominated this state. And I'm going to do what Scott Wilson did uh, in Wisconsin and rain down the power of the public unions so that they only negotiate about wages, not about discipline or about competence. There are 300,000 public school teachers in the state of California. Last year, two were fired. I'm told between five and seven are incompetent. That's about 15,000 people that are that are in our schools, uh, supposedly educating our children. And they're often in the schools in the in the inner city where the kids need best teachers the most. This is absolutely outrageous. And I'm going to turn this this crap around. So, so Larry, so in, in the news of this week, literally, is that the L.A. County has decided to mask up again. I know it's county versus state, but, you know, this all falls on you know, the, the, the head of the snake, so to speak. Gavin Newsom, you point out he's out having a, a French laundry $400 per plate dinner while the rest of the state is being told to lock down, mask up and social distance. But what, right. what would Larry Elder do with regards to masking and vaccinations? What are your thoughts? Uh, by the way, you gave him a pass on the French laundry thing. He was sitting there with the very lobbyists and the medical team that drafted the mandates that they were violating by, by not wearing masks and by not engaging in social distancing. I do what Texas has done, and that is give people the option. If the private sector businesses want to uh, require people to wear masks, they can do that. But I would not uh, tell, let alone order people to wear masks. Uh, this man has done this in, in, in completely inconsistent with the science. Supposedly, the Democrats are all about science. Uh, it, it, I guess they're all about science until it comes to the power of the public teachers union. I went to Crenshaw High School. If you saw the movie Boys in the Hood, that's, a, that's the movie that centered around my high school. Right now, Eric, 2% of kids at my former high school are math proficient. 75% of black kids in California cannot read at state levels of proficiency. Nearly 50% of all kids cannot. 300,000 public school teachers in California last year, two were fired. It is absolutely outrageous. And it's not just teachers, it's firefighters, it's police officers. You recall Derek Chauvin, however you feel about that trial. I believe there were like 15 complaints against this guy because they couldn't fire him. And the power of the unions, uh, they have automatic union dues uh, that are there. Uh, they contribute very little to the pensions. Uh, and what Scott Walker did is he limited raises to inflation. Uh, and if you wanted to go beyond inflation, you had to go to the voters. I'm going to do that. And once I make these kinds of pronouncements, 
The unions are going to come at me with both barrels. And that is why I'm urging yep. people to go to electelder.com. Le- I need money not only from Californians, but outside of California, because I need millionaires and billionaires, to quote Bernie Sanders, to set up political, political action committees, PACs, along the lines of my philosophy. Otherwise, I cannot win. This man can raise and spend an unlimited amount of money fighting this recall election. His rivals have limitations on how much we can raise, how much we can spend. So it's almost impossible to win unless I get help from people outside the state. And I'm urging millionaires and billionaires to do just that. Set up PACs and help me get this guy out and turn around this freaking state. There's a there's a law called CEQA, California Quality and Environmental Act. I talked to a lot of developers, Eric, and they tell me, you stick a spoon in the ground, you're going to be sued because it has a negative environmental impact. One developer told me 20 years ago he had a development process, a program for 2,000 houses, got sued, cut it down to 1,000, got sued, cut it down to 500, got sued, recently approved for 200 houses. You know, That's why housing is ridiculous, and that is why young people are going to places like Tennessee and Florida and Texas, and it's got to stop. Yeah, and Larry, we... we- we ran out of time. I wanted to get to some of the things that are going on, how they, this, this governor and this liberal uh, activism on the left of California has ruined some great cities like San Francisco, like Los Angeles. It's just it's a travesty what they, that these things have turned into tent cities and it's just kind of awful places to go. No wonder businesses are shutting down. And as you point out, moving to Texas, moving to Florida, moving to Tennessee. Larry Elder, thank you very much. We're going to keep an eye on it. We'll have you back again very soon, my friend. ElectElder.com. ElectElder.com. All right. Have a good one. Good luck, Larry. The White House is saying Facebook needs to work harder to stop the spread of misinformation. Now they want to get directly involved in deciding what's fact and what's fiction. Does that sound right to you? Congressman Mo Brooks up next. increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out there. So did you catch that? Jen Psaki Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, all of your favorite Washington swamp creatures are going to be, quote, helping Facebook identify misinformation on social media. The same people who insisted Hunter Biden's laptop from hell was fake news. Those people are going to be flagging misinformation for Facebook. Think about that just for a second. The same people who insisted hydroxychloroquine was not at all effective in treating COVID-19 symptoms. Those people are going to be talking to Mark Zuckerberg about fact versus fiction. And, by the way, the same people who slapped warning labels on posts by President Trump for saying COVID may have come from the Wuhan lab in China. Those people are going to be deciding on what you can and can't post on your personal pages. Alabama Republican Mo Brooks joins me now. Congressman, thank you. Something doesn't smell right here. Let's talk a little bit about this this whole push from the White House is going to tell social media companies like Facebook and Twitter what's what's real and what's not real. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's most disturbing. Uh, but if they're going to do that, then they probably ought to start with Dr. Fauci. Uh, Certainly, he has made a number of serious misrepresentations that have gutted his credibility in the public sector, Uh, one of the reasons that I've called for his termination. But getting back to the posting on social media, big tech, if they're going to censor and if the standard is going to be reliability, then Dr. Fauci has to be the first to go. 
You know, Trump this last last week announced that his class action lawsuit against Facebook, Twitter and Google, you know, he, he, he said he's going after him in a big way. Does this in any way open the Biden administration up to legal action if they're directly working with Facebook to censor people? I mean, it's first of all, the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says it guarantees that this doesn't happen, that government does not censor people. Why are the the Biden administration admitting that they're going to work with Facebook to censor people and the president, no less. Well, while I've been a practicing attorney, a prosecutor, a defense attorney and a commercial litigator, this is not an area of law in which I have expertise. I do want to wish uh, President Trump uh, the best of success in this litigation for one principal reason. We are a republic. A republic only functions properly if there is a discourse of different opinions and ideas. But if you have propaganda coming from one side and the other side is totally silenced and cannot rebut the propaganda, then you're undermining not only the First Amendment, but you're undermining our republic and the knowledge that voters need in order to cast wise decisions on election day. That's a problem. You know, it it strikes me that when the government a, a, a president, a seating president who happens to have the Senate and the House of Representatives uh, majority on his side, decides what's real, what's fake, what's information, what's misinformation, what's fact, what's fiction, and then works directly with the social media companies with outstanding oversight, outstanding uh, reach into every American's lives. That sounds almost like collusion. The White House said they were going to do that yesterday. President Biden had this to say today. Take a listen to what he had to say. See if he clarified things. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And and they're they're killing people. And see, see what he did there? This should be this shouldn't be issue. This shouldn't be vaccinate or don't vaccinate or hydroxychloroquine or not or Wuhan lab or not. It should be about let, inform people. He was right about that. Inform people. But don't inform people with the talking points that emanate from from the White House, from the West Wing of the White House. I'm guaranteed Biden didn't come up with any of these ideas. It all came from the West Wing, sent over the Oval Desk, Oval Office and, and the Resolute Desk. And he delivered whatever this is. Saki took it to the briefing room and now it goes to Facebook, to Twitter, to, to the various social media companies and into our homes, onto our handhelds, everyone in America. It starts in the White House and ends up on my handheld. Is this America? It's not the America that we've become accustomed to. It's more like what you would expect out of communist China or the old Soviet Union, uh, perhaps in communist China or communist uh, North Korea, or perhaps the Iranian dictatorship. Um, look, if we're going to be a republic, we have to have freedom of speech. That's why that was in the First Amendment to the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights, because that's how important it is for a republic to function properly. Yeah. Uh, but if the government's going to be involved in encouraging or enticing or coercing, whatever the case may be, big tech communicators into stifling speech, then we've got a major problem in this oh. country. And I just hope the people Congress, wake it, up before it went it's too late. It went further. It went further than encouraging or enticing. It went to, to, to deciding what big tech was supposed to, to, to 
allow through and what, we, what it was supposed to censor. You know, it strikes me. They censored. They censored the whole Hunter Biden laptop last year. They sat down and they, they pulled the New York Post offline with, with the Hunter Biden breaking story. They did that. They deliberately did that. Now we found out that the prosecutor investigating Hunter Biden deliberately acted to protect Hunter Biden to keep the investigation secret until after the election day. It did impact the election. This prosecutor is David Weiss. Is this a fireable offense? I got about half a minute or so. I don't know if it's fireable or not because I'm not familiar with the personnel rules related to this particular individual. But let's be clear, a major campaign issue in 2020 was the ethical issues surrounding the Biden family syndicate. And I personally wish that this prosecutor had not suppressed the kind of information that he had come across. His decision, he's going to have to live with it, but the American people deserve better. All right. We're going to leave it right there. Mo Money, Mo Problems, Mo Brooks, Representative. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. So what's life like after the Oval Office? We'll tell you what Trump's doing now and how some other ex-presidents have made a fortune after leaving the White House. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Donald Trump is going on tour with Bill O'Reilly at the end of the year. They're calling it the Trump O'Reilly History Tour. And according to number 45 himself, it's already a pretty big deal. Here's a statement from Trump's office on Wednesday, quoting Bill O'Reilly, saying, quote, without any marketing at all, the Trump O'Reilly history tour has already grossed more than seven million dollars. In some venues, the VIP tickets are almost sold out. This tour will be one of the most lucrative of all time. Apparently not everyone agrees. However, there's a political story out today that says the tour is not selling. But it got us thinking about how presidents make a living after they leave the Oval Office. For that, we bring in the experts, presidential historians Doug Weed and Craig Shirley. Thank you guys for joining me both. Craig, let me start with you. You know, we did some of the math. Sure. We looked at some of these numbers. You know, Hillary and Bill Clinton just killed it after Bill left, left the yes. Oval Office, left the presidency. He went for a couple million, from a couple of million dollars to literally over $100 million. Some yes. would say a couple hundred million dollars. Tell us about what goes on when a president leaves office. Well... Traditionally, they get a, a federal office set up for them by the government. Now, uh, current presidents do. They get a staff. They get postage uh, privileges. They get a stipend. They get things like that. It didn't used to be. Some some presidents uh, actually left uh, pretty poor. When Harry Truman left office, he and Bess got in a car and drove back to Independence, uh, Missouri. And he actually had to live in his mother-in-law's house. He didn't have enough money to buy his own house. And the only way he was able to make money was to uh, was to do his memoirs, was to sell his memoirs. And that's really how presidents today, one of the ways they make uh, money, by selling their memoirs and on the lecture circuit. And and this is a time for judicial to take over, not to uh, be too uh, greedy, not to be too extraneous in going after the almighty dollar. Yeah. Uh, but traditionally, you, 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 it's either through books. Sometimes they do product endorsements. 
uh, Bob Dole, there wasn't a president, obviously, but he did uh, Viagra commercials and uh, Newt Gingrich ran for president. And now he's doing home security commercials. So the, 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 the uh, range is widening. For uh, presidential candidates, the range, the range is widening. presidential candidates to make money. The range, the range, Craig, the range is widening. Doug, let me throw this to you. I mean, some of the numbers are staggering, by the way. I don't think they're getting this on their postage a lot. Maybe take a look at some of these. I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely out of control before and after Obama's. And by the way, 1.3 million prior, 70 million after. Just wait to see what that number gets to in a few years. They're doing deals everywhere. Michelle Obama on her book tour, I read somewhere where she was selling out 30,000 uh, seat arenas um, for literally thousands of dollars per seat for for a long time. Th that number is going to skyrocket. Look at Bush, 20 million to 40 million. That that just pales in comparison to some of the others. And, and we highlighted Bill Clinton, 1.3 million, 240 million after. And these numbers are staggering. Doug, tell us, you know, when you think public servant, is it public servant or is it ingratiate myself to the nines once I leave being a public servant? Well, you know what it is. By the way, Eric, it's great seeing you on this show. I I get a real kick out of seeing you each time you're on. I'm glad you're on Newsmax. Actually, this whole Thank process you. begins very, very early, long before they're president of the United States. There's uh, quiet uh, negotiations about board of directors, nothing acknowledged, nothing in writing, just grunts and rolling the eyes. But the ambassadors are picked, and you, you, my son, of course, will serve on your board. That's been going on forever, and it's huge today. It gets bigger and bigger. Reagan was criticized with his deal with Japan when he left, and the reason they criticized him was he was so pure, he was so honest, he wouldn't get involved in that. But this has been ongoing forever. It will continue to be ongoing. As long as there's something to sell, it will have value. Craig, let me let me throw up one more. And, and we saw all those other pr past presidents really making a lot of money once they left but in, in, in during in their presidency. And once they left, take a look at, at, at President Trump. He lost money. President Trump lost money being president. And everyone seems to point the finger at him. Craig, how many times do we hear emoluments clause, emoluments clause, emoluments yes. clause, meaning the president was ingratiating himself while he's in, in office? This man lost money. That's a public yeah, servant. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not quite astonishing because people vote in many different ways, not just in the ballot box, but they also vote with their feet. They also vote with the, with their purchases and whether or not they buy buildings or buy condos or whatever else. And obviously, uh, the, the stock market has been has not been shooting up of recent. He's lost probably money in the stock market. Also, real estate value in New York has plummeted, so he's probably lost money there. And also, people didn't uh, buy his buildings or buy his condos simply for reasons of uh, politics, which is really unfortunate that people are so petty uh, with their dollars uh, that they would take it out uh, in that manner. You know, Doug, final thought here about a minute or so. You know, it, it just strikes me that, that you know, look at Harry Reid. He, he walked into the Senate and he was, you know, a, a senator making 100000 I think they got up to 174000 Joe Biden as senator, the highest he ever made was $174,000. And then he walks into the presidency with several million dollars in his net worth. How do you make $100,000 to $150,000 after tax for all this time and somehow amass millions upon millions of dollars and then millions more once you leave office? What's going on in that time in between that we don't know about? Yeah, they are hustling and they're hustling fast. And you look at others, we should say Ron Paul and Rand Paul turned down uh, all of those uh, 
uh, powerful lobbies, the tremendous flow of money. And Nancy Pelosi raked it in through her husband. I mean, it got so outrageous that 60 Minutes and their whores in the media uh, broke with them and said, we can't support this any longer. Uh, they were they were deciding what stocks they would buy, Nancy Pelosi and gang, yeah. and then go into a yeah. committee meeting and making the decisions yeah. that affected yeah. those stocks. I, I, I want to bring you guys back next time I sit in or we'll do the other show that's coming up soon to be announced. But I'd love to bring you back because I love that, that topic there, Doug, the, the Stock Act, where, where lawmakers could literally front run their own legislation, something that every other American watching right now would go to jail for, but they're allowed yes. to do it and they were allowed to do it and make a ton of money doing it. I got to wrap the, sh the, the, the segment. I'm running out of time. I want to say thank you both, Craig Shirley and Doug Weed. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks, Eric. Good to see you, Thank Craig. Good to see you, Eric. Good to see you guys. Violent crime is surging in major cities from coast to coast. You know who's not going to stop it? Black Lives Matter. My next guest knows why. Author Bob Woodson, right after the break. Crime is skyrocketing in major cities across the country. Just take a look at these numbers. Homicides up. 800% in Portland, Atlanta, up 50%, Minneapolis, about the same. I mean, this is crazy, folks. But what do all these cities have in common? They're run by Democrats who think white police officers are the biggest threat to communities of color. I want to bring in author of Red, White, and Black and founder of the Woodson Center, Bob Woodson. Bob, thank you for joining us. You know, it, it, it strikes me that these homicide numbers are up, but they're up versus 2020. And 2020 was a was a massively high year of, versus recent recent years. So they're even higher. You know, Chicago, I just think about Chicago, my hometown, talking about maybe the numbers going down. It's not going down. It's going up. What's really happening here, Bob? Well, first of all, you have not only uh, liberal Democrats, but you have permissive prosecutors uh, who are releasing people prematurely. Also, there's this assault on police officers. Well, they're what they call the Ferguson effect and nullifying. Police officers are not going to be aggressively enforcing the laws in low-income communities for fear of being accused of being racism or being arrested. There are 8,000 blacks who are killed by other blacks each year. 18 are killed by police officers, white police officers, unarmed. And most of those people who were killed were resisting arrest. So, but every time, in other words, evil has to wear a white face before we get a... a, a, a attention to it. And so mm. what we are, we are saying is that th this attitude of permissiveness, of accepting of violence, police, uh, police recruitment is down 60%. Yeah. Hey, hey, Bob, I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter. They, they're not, they're not oh, permitting yeah. it. They're actually causing a lot of it. And, you know, if, we, if you don't mind, let's control them. Let's throw up a couple of these houses that Patrice Quaylar, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, <laughs> ended up ingratiating herself to the tune of millions upon millions of dollars at some <laughs> of the homes that she purchased with the what was some estimated close to $100 million that Black Lives Matter took in over the course of the last year, year and a half or so. Talk about that for second well first of all she you're right it's blood money that's what it is in fact al sharpton flew in to a protest in a uh, private jet maxine waters came from a three million dollar home in los angeles to join a rally by this woman 
who lives in a $1.3 million home. That shows you how the hypocrisy. Sylvia Bennett Stone, one of the mothers uh, for the Winston Center, she leads a group called Voices of Black Mothers United. 2,500 urban black mothers who lost their children to violence. They are supportive of the police. She wrote a column saying that Black Lives Matter is, is profiting off of the blood and, and murders of uh, black children. Even Michael Brown's father is speaking out against them. And many other mothers, Viona uh, Taylor, their mothers are saying Black Lives Matter is, is like an arsonist that gets paid to put out a fire. And, and, yeah. and corporations yeah. Yeah. You know, are complicit. You know, Bob, we, we, we were running, while you were talking there, we were running a couple of pictures of, of, peop, of young, young people who were killed by other African-Americans. It wasn't cops. It wasn't white cops. I mean, listen, the, 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 anyone who dies it, is bad. It's just when they use it to raise money. And then, and then you see uh, Patrice Quaylar who buys homes with it. Bob, we're going to leave it right there. Bob Woodson, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, you go swimming in the ocean, you get bitten by a shark. It's called a shark attack, right? Well, not anymore in the woke world. I'll explain when we come back. Some of the most terrifying theme music of all time Jaws literally emptied the beaches at the height of the summer of 1975, remember that? But apparently sharks have feelings too, and some woke marine biologists are pushing for us to stop using some offensive, politically incorrect language when referring to these man-eating beasts of the deep blue sea. Activists in Australia want the public to stop using the word attack when referring to a shark attack. From now on, whenever someone is nibbled on, mauled, or eaten alive by a shark, they'd like you to refer to it as a shark interaction. Or how about a shark encounter, perhaps? They feel like after not one or two, but six Sharknado movies, that these perfect predators are getting a bad rap, unfairly stigmatized as deliberate killers. By the way, I almost wound up with a cameo role in Sharknado 5. But for the next generation of shark enthusiasts that want the whitewashed snowflake version of natural history, we're all supposed to go with something more like this. Sorry I did that to you. You're going to listen to that. That's going to be in your head for the whole weekend. But... If you want to avoid a shark for real, an incident, an interaction, or an encounter, whatever you want to call it, check out the O-Search, O-C-E-A-R-C-H, Live Shark Tracker. Anyone headed to the Jersey Shore this weekend, keep an eye out for that one right there, Breton. Breton's a 13-foot-long, 1,400-pound great white shark last spotted this morning off the coast of Point Pleasant. We're going to need a bigger boat. Stand by for Stinchfield. Greg's back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay away from the Jersey Shore.